to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast. Today we have another great conversation for you. Kelly Cardenas is back in the studio to talk with another SLC 19 featured speaker. Habib Habib is an experienced servant leader and the founder of H Squared Leadership Institute. Listen as these two talk about the it factor when working with employees in a servant-led organization and how investing in relationships can give you a great advantage over your competition. We hope you enjoy. If I tell you, if you're out there, you're listening to the podcast, um, if you want to change your life on Instagram, Instagram and social media, just simply watch or uh, you know start following Habib Habib, HG Habib. It's with two E's, not an I, because he told me about that. Um, but I tell you, it could, it could change your life. It could change your life. So, Kelly, you're awesome. Are you a hugger? Oh, I'm a hugger, man. We're going to be hugging okay. it out. I'm going to give you a hug from far, but when I see you, I'll give you a hug. A hug, guys and girls. It's equal opportunity. There we go. <laughs> there we go. That's awesome. Well, it's so good to be able to talk to you. I know, um, you know, uh, re- obviously reading about you beforehand. I mean, I read about it. You're a repeat winner like four times, best places to work in Illinois. Although I have a bone to pick there because I have a business in Illinois. So that means that I'm playing second fiddle here, uh, Habib. So um, thanks a lot for making me feel bad about myself. <laughs> There's more than one good place to work in Illinois, just so you know. Yeah, but you've you know, won it. You've won secret. it four. You've won it four times. So, um, will you let somebody else win at some point? Um, okay. So, I I, I want to uh, thank you so much for being able to spend our time or spend your time with us. Where are you at in the world right now? What are you doing? I'm in Champaign. Uh, that's my hometown, and it's uh, windy, about forty miles an hour wind. It's uh, snow flurries, so it's. Uh, I wish I had California weather. Well, at least you have a wife that you absolutely love, and that, that works out well. Did she stay home today, too? Yes. Yes, that's perfect. So what are you guys doing today? Are you cooking her lunch? Because I hear that you make a, a, a mean hummus, but also your baklava uh, seems to be on the top of the charts in uh, like in the Billboard <laughs> charts. So No, I'm not making baklava. Actually, I'm sitting at my desk at work. I'll see her in a little bit. Her name is Joy, and she's the joy of my life. Oh, my God. How long have you been married? 33 years. 33 years. Give us the secret to being happy and speaking about your wife that way for 33 years. I'm 10 years in. I still want to love my wife at 33 years. So how do I do that? Well, you just both of you give in. Both of you, uh, we both are patient with one another. I mean, we're not perfect by any means, but uh, I learned one thing a long time ago, and I pledged to myself that I will not take my frustrations from work when I enter the house. And that I, did, I heard it from other people. They advised that. And, you know, we, we're, we have a hectic uh, pace in, at the workplace all the time. And so if we don't breathe in, I don't need to go home, kick the dog, and get mad at my wife. We, uh, I just make a conscious effort that I fill her uh, life with joy, and she fills my life back with joy. And if we're just both working at it, that's that's all that really it takes. We're not perfect people. 
Wow. So you run at that hectic pace at work and you, I mean, you have a bunch of, you have your irons in in a bunch of different fires. Um, You have H squared leadership Institute also. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then, uh, you know, what you're doing on a, on the day to day, like, you know, you were talking about, you know, working at a hectic pace. What are you, you know, where are you at right now? And what are you doing there? And then how are you able to balance that, the H squared leadership Institute and being able to have a, a, a beautiful wife that you absolutely love and have a phenomenal family and do you have grandchildren too not yet not, not yet, yet but you have children <laughs> you have children yeah, I have children, two how, children Paul and Hannah so how are you um, able to balance all that those things and tell us about a little bit about uh, each compartment that you have uh, that that's uh, working sure my day business uh, uh, was an employee benefit company it's a third-party administrator abbreviated TPA most people don't know what that is we run administer employee benefit programs for uh, Clients. So our clients are businesses. We are a business-to-business firm, and we keep their flex plans, HRAs, HSAs, 401k plans in compliance so that they remain tax uh, uh, tax advantaged. We have about 2,800 clients across the nation and hundreds of thousands of participants uh, for these employers. So we're basically tax and accounting, a finan- not financial services, but tax and accounting administration firm. Uh, we built this company. That's the company that became Best Places to Work. By the way, it's not the only best place to work. We are one of a few that have to make the cut. You're so humble. And so, and uh, we, we're we not large, but we competed. My passion was to compete against the large uh, corporations by just caring about the client. So we have an outside client and we have an inside client. And my philosophy is you got to take care of the client. That's every every successful business has to take care of the outside client but i would always tell a brand new employee you have an outside client you have to take care of you have an inside client you have to take care of that's sally that sits next to you that's jim that sits next to you and if you only take care of the outside client and you don't treat sally and jim nicely then when the client calls sally and jim they cannot hear that uh, that smile in their voice. They cannot get genuine, great service. And so I believe in taking care of outsiders. I believe in taking care of insiders. And if you do that and if you're authentic about it, your people will work hard for you. They will be loyal. They will not, some will leave. You know, the grass is not always greener. We've had people leave, say, to go to work for the university locally because their benefits are phenomenal. But then sometimes they come back. So anyway, we have people that work really hard and they represent BPC well to the client. I don't have to be the one talking to the client. Our team members are just as good as me talking to the client. So building a loyalty to the client who makes our money and to the people here who makes us successful is how BPC uh, succeeded. Then you go home and... I don't believe in compartmentalizing. You know, I I can be very passionate and authentic and everything at work. And if I go home, I should be the same way or vice versa. Think if you're going to be a nice person, be a nice person everywhere. And people will want to do business with you. Your wife will love you. Your children will love you. Your clients will love you. Your employees will love you. And success will just start snowballing. You know, it's... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you treat others well, you're going to get back what you sent out, you know. And so H squared is really an extension of that philosophy. 
I, I, that's another thing I employed because I saw that the world was so broken. You know, it's, this is a tough world. And every day we get bombarded by people trying to beat us down. Whether they mean it or not, we, we're getting beaten down. And we need people who lift us up, who are the wings beneath, the, the wind beneath our wings. So if we are the wind beneath our employees' wings and we are the wind beneath our spouse's wings and we are beneath, the wind beneath our clients' wings, boy, it becomes easier to do business because you're not competing on price, you're not competing just on the product, you're competing on the relationship. And that's really what servant leadership is, you know. So H squared is an extension of my belief that you ought to be authentic in life and you, it ought to impact every single part of your life. And so I started doing seminars and talks for our clients and they ate it up because their hardest job is not to produce that widget. It's how do I inspire my employee to produce the widget well and to have teamwork and trust. And so it started as something I did for our clients and it became something I'm passionate about where I want to make the world a better place. And I'd love for, I know a lot of other people are trying to make the world a better place, but we need more of us making the world a better place so that we are the majority. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, coming off that, that type of mentality, which is so refreshing and it makes so much sense. Um, Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. I mean, because it seems like a person that thinks like yourself, I mean, that had a, a pretty much it, what, it, what it would seem like from the outside is, okay, Habib, that's easy for you to say because you probably had the perfect upbringing. Everything was uh, great. Your parents always taught you this stuff. You grew up in this almost bubble and everyone was nice to each other and everybody thought about everybody else. Um, talk to us a little bit about your upbringing because all of us would love to be able to uh, get to that point, um, you know, was it was it easy for you and, and you know, in, in the upbringing? And, and can you explain a little bit of it that way? Well, that's a very good point, Kelly. It, it's the whole um, uh, topic of uh, the Servant Leadership Conference this year is you are able. And so what, what that means is everybody is able to do something. And I believe that a movie is being made about us. I mean, a movie is being made about you, a movie is being made about me, a movie is being made about the person who's hearing this podcast, but it's not a one-time movie. It's more like a, a TV series. One-time movies, it gets made one time, they write the script, they make it, you can't change it. They release it in the cinema, right? But our life is like a TV series. So you start out this, uh, episode one, two, three, something goes wrong, the script can be changed in the future, you know? And I believe our life is like that. Nothing that happens in the past should really, it does impact our future, but if we can overcome it, we can create a better future. So about me, you ask about me. So I was born in Lebanon about six, uh, six 7,000 miles away from Illinois. And I was uh, the second of three boys. I was the shyest guy in the world. I mean, the shyest guy in the world. My face would get red anytime I saw somebody. I was too shy to be bad, so I was an angel. Like I behaved, I was well behaved because I was afraid of consequences. I had good grades, and my parents were not college graduates. Actually, my dad wasn't a high school graduate. During World War One, he had to drop out of high school because his his father, my grandfather was taken to fight World War One by the Ottoman Turks and never came back. So 
my dad was with females in the household, his mom and sisters, and so he had to drop out of high school and start working. My mom could not finish her four-year degree as a teacher because of the war, and she had to get only a two-year certificate. I was going to be the first in our immediate family to be in college. And we were poor, I would say, not like absolutely poverty. We had food. We didn't take um, vacations. At Christmas time, if I got a plastic car, my friends got the motorized cars or something. So, you know, we were okay. We were never hungry, but we didn't have any excess. And I thought my parents were going to get old. They don't have money. I need to provide for them probably. And I I wanted to be rich just like everybody else. And in the late 60s, early 70s, that means you're either a doctor or an engineer or something like that. I thought I'm going to be a doctor. So I decided I'll go to university, be a doctor, and be rich forever. Well, trouble in the Middle East at that time, it was 19, uh, between 67 and 73 is about the time I was in high school, um, middle school and high school. And I realized that I can't go to American University in Beirut because of the trouble around us. So I decided to come to an English-speaking country because I had learned English from kindergarten. And we gathered up all the money we could get, and I ended up in America, uh, in Illinois, actually, in a small college. I was 17, not street savvy at all, with you know my eyes bright and wanted to conquer the world and go back to Lebanon and be a doctor of Beirut forever. And only 16 months later, civil war started in Lebanon, like the Syrian civil war now. So I'm disconnected from my parents. They're on the run. I don't have a penny. And my dreams were completely shattered. So what do you do? So no, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Actually, the complete opposite. I had a dream that was shattered by war and there was two or three influencers in my uh, life a couple of them are something that started me on a journey i read the book of power of positive thinking by norman vincent peel it's an old book still relevant absolutely what that told me was habib okay so your dream was shattered life is not perfect you can either just give up or you can change your attitude about your situation and make the best out of it. The cliche would be make lemonade out of lemons, you know. <laughs> the second book I read, and this was like soon after the war started. Um, I don't, I can't recall how I got a hold of the books, but somebody, either somebody was talking about them. The other one was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yes. And what that book told me is, the secret to success in the world is taking care of the other person. If you take care of the other person, you're going to get everything you want in return. And so you combine the two with some other stuff. It started me on a journey of self-discovery. Well, you try to change everything in your life for the better. And you go, if I can just help the other person succeed, sooner or later I'll find success. And I started finding success and people started gravitating towards me because, you know, I, I was not born charismatic, but all people want to do is talk about themselves. And they're drawn to you if they, if they if you care about them, if you care less about you and more about them and you have no, you know, uh, secret motivation about your connection with them, if you just really are authentic about caring about them, somehow it'll work out. So it started then 
And I can't tell you how many books I read and how many things I did and how, you know, how it starts just developing muscle memory in your mind. You start changing your mentality where you stop thinking about the bad and you start thinking about the good in everything. And if you get up and have a bad day, you try to think about what is the good about, you know, what's the good about about this today that I can concentrate on because I cannot ruin my day. If I ruin my day, I'm just hurting myself, you know. And so I quit worrying and feeling pitiful for myself because the country is uh, in war. And I said, what can I do here in America in the situation I was given? So basically, I bloomed where I was planted. You know, I was stuck here. Yeah. I said, I'm going to make the best out of it. I started working at Arby's for a buck sixty-five an hour. <laughs> I didn't know a thing about Arby's. Nothing. I thought... I will not succeed. I didn't want to work at Arby's, but I had to because I was afraid of being put on the front counter and I'm really shy, you know, and so they put me on the front counter. That was my adversity. You know, here and now adversity could be that you are, you know, you lose your home, you lose your job, you lose everything, you, you're out in the wilderness, you know, that kind of uh, adversity. But to me, my adversity was I have to face the customers and I was really shy, but that was the best adversity I, I had because it made me snap out of my shell and be less shy about the world. And little by little, it doesn't matter now. I That's not an issue for me. I would have never changed had I not had the adversity. Wow. So it seems, <clears throat> it seems Habib, like uh, you've, you've been able to uh, almost work the muscles. Um, you know, work a muscle of, uh, of being able to speak with people, being able to be in front of people. And so what I hear you saying, um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, is that if you are, you know, lacking or deficient in an area, if you just work at it and you work that muscle, it can become stronger. So when I, when I talk to people like thought leaders like yourself, the question that I always have is, what are the little things that you do on a day-to-day basis? Like, what's that little thing? Like, say, for instance, I, was just, uh, I just got a chance to uh, be able to talk with Ken Blanchard. And what I was telling him is before I go and speak, I run a mile. I drink a green juice and I eat a, a Honeycrisp apple. Um, not because I think that it's going to help my health, but it just, it's just a routine. It's something that just gets me hyped. What are those little things that are signature to you that you do every day to kind of get you moving? Well, uh, I'll give you an example of when I first joined BPC. You know, I told you I was at Arby's and I returned to school. It's a long story. We'll catch up on that some other time. But I returned to school, finished my degree and got my MBA. And I joined this company, BPC, where I'm an owner. Um, And they were there. They had really great people that were working really hard. And they were overwhelmed and they were uh, frustrated. And uh, even though they were succeeding and the business was growing, everybody was frustrated. And so I made a point, I had been managing people for a long time. I made a point that I'm gonna recognize people. So that first week I got a little email telling me that one of our customers, client had given a big compliment to one of our employees. And I was on one side of the office and she was all the way on the other side. And I was the CEO. I got hired as a COO. I get up out of my desk and I go all the way to the other side. And I walk in and I'm just going to use Sally as a you know name so that I, she can remain anonymous. I walked in and I said, Sally, good morning. She goes, good morning. I said, hey, I just heard something about you. 
she said, what? I said, so-and-so sent an email with glowing references about you, how you did a great job and everything was awesome. And uh, I just wanted to tell you that. She goes, oh, that's good to hear. But what? I go, what do you mean? She goes, there's a but. What do you mean? What do you really want? I said, nothing. I just came here to tell you that's what keeps BPC successful. You treating our customers well is what keeps BPC successful. She goes, but what? I said, nothing. Thank you so much. I turned around and walked out. See, we were taught as managers a long time ago that if you want to tell somebody something bad, bring something good to it also. You know, say a positive thing and a bad thing. Well, we started using that, and people are smart. You know, they know there's a but. <laughs> so it didn't work. Then they said sandwich it. Say something good. Tell them what you want to change. Say then something bad. Well, they got used to that, too. And I said, darn it. Well, why don't we just separate the two? Say something good, say something uh, that will help them later. But build your relationship with them by giving them the credit all the time. That's one thing I do. Number two, you can forget, you know, the best free advice that costs companies nothing is if I can tell them, do not ever use this person works for me or this work person works beneath me. I've used it a long time ago. Believe me, I'm not lecturing here. But I, over time, I learned nobody's beneath me. Nobody works for me. They work with me. They work along, alongside of me. So I introduced my team members as my colleagues. I hired one person in 20, 2006. To this day, on her first week, I was introducing her. She still tells the story about our culture. She says, Habib, I was a nobody at BPC. The first week, we had a major client come in. And I walked in the room and Habib introduced me as his colleague. I was not his colleague. I was just a rookie. I didn't know a thing. And so how much did that cost me? Zero. Yeah. 13 years later, she remembers it. That's my routine. Um, If I walk in, I want to... Remember that my desk is important. There's a bunch of people waiting for me on the, uh, to respond to them by email. But I get up, I walk up and down the hall, and I stop at the front desk, and I see the receptionist who is our way more than a receptionist to me. I go, how are you today? She goes, good. What can I do for you? It just baffles them. Why is the CEO coming around saying, what can I do for you? I go, I'm fine. What do you why are you asking? I say, nothing. I just want to make sure you got everything you want because you're important to us. One time, one employee said, I need a new stapler. I'm going, well, I'll be right back. I went to my desk, got my stapler, gave it to them. These are not rocket science, and a lot of people don't. But if you just whip your people and say, work harder, it may work for a short time. But when they think you care about them. That's really what servant leadership. You care about people, and you genuinely care. So when, you, when you're looking, they will work their buns for you. Wow, that's that's incredible. When when you're looking for people um, within your organization, thing like that, I think the the billion dollar question. I think it would be a multi billion or even trillion dollar question would be. Is a person born with it? Like, you know, the people say like, oh, they just have it. 
um, are they born with it or can you create it? Can you draw it to the surface? I mean, what is that? What's, what's that for you? Do you look at people and say, well, okay, I'm going to go out and find a players or do you look and say, I can build them? Um, I think there's a lot of companies out there that would like to know that answer because, um, you know, I think that some people are stuck in the fact that they think that uh, a person is just born into that type of scenario. Do you believe that to be true or do you think you could create it? Some people are, but I can create it. Believe me, we've done that many times. The problem is that, well, one requirement. I'd like intelligent people, but intelligence by itself doesn't cut it. So if you, if I have a choice between a person with a 4.0 GPA and a lousy attitude and a person with a 2.5 or 3.0 uh, GPA and a great attitude, I'll work with the great attitude. I will not, I have had bad luck with 4.0s who think the customer is not important, who think their teammate is not important, who think the company is not important. So I look for attitude way before that. But I've been able to change people's attitudes by the way we treat them. See, the world is really hard on us. We come, a lot of us come wounded to prices. So if I think if a person is appearing as... I hate to even say I'm going to be their parent. I'm, I don't really want to be their parent. I want to be their inspirer. You know, I want them when they come to know that they are safe here. I actually use the words, my job is to help you succeed. When we were smaller, we had a company of 60 people, only 60. So I used to be able to talk to every employee on their first day, or even when I used to be the one hiring a long time ago, I would tell them on the first in the interview. My job is to help you succeed. The CEO's job is to tell them that his job is to help them succeed. They know I have a commitment to them, you know. And if they know I'm not going to try to catch them do things wrong, they start getting better. We also pay. I've hosted speakers. I haven't hosted Ken Blanchard, but they're too small for that. But I've hosted, uh, hosted leadership speakers and closed the company for a half day to listen to that and actually even invited, we hosted it in a large location, invited all our clients that could come to hear the motivational speaker. But I didn't just take my leadership. I took every one of our employees all the way to the person who was with us first week. And so you train, you train. If, if you want to be better at golf, it's so sports is so easy for us to comprehend. You want to be better at basketball or golf? Go practice that all day long. Well, you want to be better with people? Practice doing good with people all the time. And so, I in answer to your question, it now not many people are born with it, but good leaders can take that person who is a diamond in the rough and make them a diamond if they really care enough about their people and their development just as much as they care about their profits. We had our best year ever last year, Kelly, our best year. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. In a very turbulent industry. So the it, some people are born with it. I was not born with it. I was just a good kid who was well-behaved and good uh, grades. Adversity didn't give me a choice. I had to start working hard. And over time, I lucked out that great, good examples in my life influenced me to be better. Wow. So let me ask you this, because I've got two kids in, in this, uh, you know, I've got one, uh, my son Maddox, 
and Hi Maddox, and then uh, he's seven, and McKenna is 10 years old. And they're in elementary school. So I find that, you know, if you can if you raise a kid up in the way that you'll have them to go, they won't ever depart from it, yeah? So absolutely. if I could take Habib's, I mean, you are a genius. Like, I, I got to spend time with you the other day, and some of the things that, that some of the quotes, I'm going to say them to you, and I want you to just give me, oh, we're going to do some uh, quick fire, uh, you know, what pops in your head right away. Um but give me the three like bullet point pieces of advice that you would give to an elementary school student to get them prepared for life. Because I think a lot of times we wait until they're 19, 20 years old, already making silly decisions, and then we try and impart some wisdom. Whereas if we would have just raised them up the way that we should have, we wouldn't have to be doing as much discipline or get mad at them now. What would those three pieces of advice be? Well, one, one has to do with us. I have... Our kids notice everything about us. They are so smart. We don't think they're smart. They are very smart. They observe everything we're doing. Can I tell you a story about my dad did? Is, yes. Um, to, for me, when I was a young kid, um, my dad went to the bank to cash his check. Uh, it was 300 and some liras. You know, just say a lira is like a dollar. It's, it's really 300 and some liras are $100 at the time in the late 1960s. But uh, he goes in the bank gets it cashed and walks outside. He doesn't count them inside because that's improper to say that the teller gave your own money, but he's cautious. He goes around the corner and counts it. Goes back in and he says, Mademoiselle, you gave me the wrong change. She says, Monsieur George, we're a bank. We don't make mistakes. He said, you may want to count it. Instead of giving him 300 and some liras, she gave him 400 and some, off by 100. She got flushed in the face they would have fired her. She said, I would have lost my job. Thank you for your honesty. He came home to tell his kids. Our th- I had, you know, one of three boys. He told us. I remember at that time thinking, Dad, that's, that's crazy. I didn't tell him that, but I thought, the bank doesn't need it as much we do. We're poor. We could use it. Only when I got older, I discovered that he really was telling us as a way to teach us the right thing. So I was taught integrity from him by him modeling it. He didn't have to just tell me, be, you know, be honest. I saw it in action. That's one of the things we can do for our kids. Second, we had migrant workers. We had a little bit of land around our house and um, the migrant workers were Syrian workers uh, that would come exactly like my migrant workers in the u.s they would come in the summer work their buns off and go home for winter because they couldn't do anything in winter but they needed to make enough money in the summer they would work their buns off with hand picks and everything was manual labor and they wouldn't spend any money on food they would eat bread and hot tea with sugar in it you know the sugar was a little energy the tea was caffeine and the bread was carbs And my dad would see them, remember, we're poor. We had just a little bit of land around the house that could be, you know, uh, worked on. He would have mom make uh, food for them. He had paid them. He doesn't owe them anything. They were dirty, didn't take a shower. He would have mom make food for them. I learned compassion from him. You know, how do you teach a kid that? Only because at the time, you know, I didn't really think much of it, but you reflect on it. As soon as you get out of the house and you look back and you go, he wasn't a high school graduate, yet he treated people better, you know? 
I was a 4.0 MBA guy. Do you know, Kelly, how many of my clients asked me what my GPA was? None. Zero. Now, I, for the listener, if you're a student, please go do your a good job. At, uh, I'm glad they in, don't in ask for my GPA, Habib. I'm glad that my clients don't sit down with me and ask me my GPA right off the bat because most of them would hop <laughs> right in their car and drive home. So <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will ask you that. They only want to know how you're treated. It, you, your kids, your, our kids are watching how I treat my, their mother. You know, our kids are watching what I say about my friend behind his back. That's the kind of thing that our kids are watching. And so when they have adversity, and they will, they'll have adversity, they will just look back at, even if you're not their hero at the time, they'll look back at you later as their hero. Wow. Wow. I, I, I have something because uh, we're, we're, uh, we're a little short on time now, but I want to, this, this thing kind of summed you up the other day, which was, there was two quotes to it. Um, that, that you said, and it struck me because you told me, like, getting to hear the story about your dad. I mean, I thought it was going the other way, Habib. Like, I thought it was going the other way. Like, you didn't want to dishonor, he didn't want to dishonor the banker. And, you know, this lady had shortchanged and your dad was about to wreck shop. You know what I mean? He was about to show his boy that he wasn't going to take less. And you, you flipped the script. Like, it, it flipped completely around. And, you know, here it is, this guy being honest. And let's, Let's be honest there, 95% of our community, probably including me on Thursday, uh, might have not taken the $100 back, you know what I mean? Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me was you said two quotes. Number one, um, I don't know how to be bad anymore. And the other thing that you said was be like the good guy, not like the bad guy. I mean, how are you able to keep it so simple yet be so profound in a complicated world like there's so many people out there that are trying to create like i'm gonna make you jump through hoops and do all these crazy things and i got the uh, eighteen thousand steps to success and you could be a motivator and i could do this and that but you literally have such simple principles but they're so profound and they impact people at such a high level what i mean how, how do you stay in that simple uh, and when I say that, I mean, you're very educated. You got the 4.0. You wanted to throw that in because you knew I only got a 2.5. Um, <laughs> I, really. I appreciate I that. Didn't know that. You're okay. very successful yourself. <laughs> well, so, but how are you able to keep it so simple yet so powerful? This is, this is crazy. It's crazy to me. Well, you know, it's just so many. It's a choice. I don't know how. I wish every, I think everybody wants to be that way, except we take shortcuts. Um, I lucked out that I was able to make my own decisions building this company without interference. I thought I'm going to, I cannot compete because I don't have the big bucks. I cannot hire a marketing company and give them three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars to market my company. I cannot have the best, uh, you know, uh, brochures, etc. But I can compete on relationships. It's free. And I kept doing that because it's really easy for a company that has resources to buy a brochure or buy a tagline. But it's super hard for them to compete with me on the relationship. It's if you, you listener, whoever you are out there, if you just work hard at your relationships and treat your customer well, your competition will not be able to compete with you as easily. It's the relationship that counts. 
because it's a dime a dozen. Whatever you have, Amazon will have it cheaper and more convenient. Whatever you're doing, somebody else will invent a better widget. But it's really hard when you treat people really well and you are authentic. People watch. We're in a small town. Our whole county is 200,000 people. Everybody knows, well, and I'm also blessed with this different name, you know, Habib, Habib. <laughs> if I do something bad, they will know who it is. <laughs> so, so I have to be good. So tell, tell our even, listeners, too. Tell our listeners. If, not, if, you just, if, you, if you just do the right thing, you will succeed, I believe, wow. long term. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners, too, is Habib Habib, like your real name or is that your stage name? <laughs> yeah. I would have picked a better one if it was my stage. No, actually, my dad stuttered or something. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Habib means beloved or darling or sweetheart. And so they just asked my brother, my younger brother, just before I was born, what should we call your brother? And he said, Habib. And they just said, twice beloved. I think we're going to go with that. And that was your your last name, though, too. It was already your last name and your brother's It was said, already the last name. I don't know why he said It's Habib. amazing. You know, in, in that part of the world, if, if any love song, any singer or anything, it's like Amour in French. It's uh, th- There's many words like that in any song about love. And so it's just uh, things people say. Wow. Well, I'm so excited to be able to spend some time with you at uh, Servant Leadership Institute Conference. For those of you who are listening, uh, you're listening to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast. And I tell you, if you're missing out on the conference, you're missing out. Getting to spend time with Habib Habib, that's really his true name that I love to say every day. Like we came into this uh, podcast today, we came into the office, and all of us, were kept yelling your name back and forth, Habib Habib, Habib Habib. And I tell you, that's what people are going to be chanting at the conference because you keep it so simple, but you strike at the heart. Like it's so incredible what you do. You have had such a, a profound impact on me. I can't wait to be able to spend a little bit of time with you, spend a little bit of time with uh, with your wife, Joy. And um, we're, we're going to welcome you with open arms here to Carlsbad. And I cannot wait. And like I said, the, those of you who are out there listening, if you're not going to the conference, you are missing out. I believe the servant leadership is the, is the future, so don't get left in the past. Habib, Habib, thank you so much for spending time with us. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Kelly, I am so excited. You are a ball of fire. And if you uh, are not coming, if the listener is not coming to the servant's leadership, I think about you and come because of your great attitude. I look forward to talking with you. We're going to have a blast. I'll be there from Sunday till the end of the conference. And so we can get together at any time with anybody and we can just have a great time. I think it's going to be a great conference. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're going to get a chance to meet my dad too, Habib. And what the one favor that I want you to do for me uh, before you come is... It's going to be on uh, March 3rd through the 5th. The uh, uh, the reception is going to be on the uh, third night, so we're all going to get together, hang out. You're going to get personal uh, engagement with all the speakers, which is going to be phenomenal. Ken Blanchard, Art Barter, Habib Habib. I mean, some of the greatest speakers in the entire world. The thing that I want you to do for me, Habib, is I do not want you to get your hair cut because I'm actually going to cut your hair, and uh, Habib Habib is going to uh, portray the best haircut on stage. That is going to be the sexiest man in the room, and he's going to be the most profound, too, and you're going to be wanting to look out for him so make sure that you do that Habib don't get your hair cut because uh, I, I got you all taken care of when you come Sound well, good? thank you so much it was such a pleasure to talk to Kelly I really I enjoyed our podcast all right on have a wonderful day we will talk with you soon 
Thank you. Take uh, care. Okay. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Registration for our upcoming 2019 Servant Leader Conference is open. The theme this year is Are You Able? It's a simple question that holds a lot of weight. Visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to get all the details about how to register. Thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day.